Friends of the Rockney cast, I am here in Rochester, Minnesota at the Soldiers Field Hotel with a very famous history professor from Luther College, the one and only Richard G. Cole. My mother is getting some treatment at the Mayo Clinic Hospital, and I'm just hanging out with my father um, in the Soldiers Field Hotel, and I thought, what the heck? We either really have two choices. We could either sit around and sort of talk and, and do nothing, we could watch Fox News, or we could actually do an interview about some very interesting parts of Luther College in the early 60s. My father was a professor there from 1964 until 2005. Um, he got his PhD from Ohio State University in 1962, correct, Dad? Yeah, three. 1963 from The Ohio State University. Um, he got his master's from the University of Iowa in 1958, and that's where he met the inimitable Joanne Cole from Waverly, Iowa, also known as my mother. Um, and then he got his B.A. from Eastern New Mexico, one of the creme de la creme of the educational institutions in the western part of the United States. In Eastern New Mexico, what, what was the logo for that? Were they like the Lumberjacks? or The Greyhounds. The Greyhounds. <laughs> there are very few Greyhounds out there, and my dad is one of them. So without further ado, we are going to interview the inimitable, the one and only Richard G. Cole. Dad, how are you? Well, I feel pretty good right now. You feel pretty good. You're looking pretty hale, looking pretty chipper, huh? Yes, I am. You are. Well, so I'm really excited to interview you. Thank God for every year. Thank God for every year, and you are now 87 years old. I will be in November. Okay, you don't look a day over 75, almost, (laughs) but you're still in good shape, okay? Need a little help with a wheelchair, but hey, we're all going to be there, people, so we're not going to give them a hard time for that. So... I thought it'd be really interesting. Hopefully, we're going to have a lot of Luther faculty and Luther students that have an interest in the greater, larger Luther community, Mm -hmm. that we would talk about some of your early experiences at Luther College and just sort of see how it's changed from the early 60s when you started there until your last year in 2005, as well as an ongoing observer of Luther College. So first off, how in the heck did a guy from Eastern New Mexico University and the Ohio State University find his way to Decorah, Iowa. How did that happen? Well, <laughs> that's a good story. That's a good one. Let's I hear it. Idea I knew, but my wife was from Iowa. Waverly, right? Waverly, Iowa. And I got my master's degree at the University of Iowa. And uh, I liked Iowa, of course. I liked my wife. And later on, after several years, we did get married. And that was very unusual in some ways, but anyway. Uh, uh, and so, you, and so, basically, though, how did you get to the campus? I mean, what what made you? I think, as I recall from you telling me in the past, you just sort of wandered on campus and asked for a job, didn't you? Like, how, how did that happen when uh, you got it, to Luther it, campus? Where, which one? Luther campus. The Luther campus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I got my degree. And I knew they were looking for PhDs in history. Yeah, that was a kind of a uh, good thing to have in those days, and uh, uh, so I we uh, got a, got a, uh, 
Well, I think you, you, you saw Farwell, didn't you? Did, did you oh, actually? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, and yeah. so we all know, you and I know who, it's El Elwin Farwell is Elwin his name? Elwin Farwell, yeah. So Elwin Farwell, for those of you who don't know, you old-time Luther professors know who he was, but basically Elwin was sort of like a rock star president of Luther College. He basically took Luther from a, a, a college that we didn't know where it could go. I mean, there's a lot of colleges that didn't necessarily make it after yeah. the 60s. Yeah. He shepherded Luther College from what 1960 something like that yeah, yeah. Uh, early or that time frame early until days. about 1982 yeah and he only recently passed away yeah. uh, but he was sort of a legendary figure for luther he was the one that got in the center for faith and life he did price library a lot of the infrastructure that we see and of course now he didn't start it but farwell hall um luther's paid homage to him yeah. so but you actually just show up on campus one day and you knock on farwell's door Right. Well, well uh, so that's about right. About yeah. right. And you yeah. said, and you, and you had, and, and let's brag a little bit. You were the son of Martin Elkhol, correct? Yeah. yeah, that's right. And Martin Elkhol was a Saint Olaf graduate. Yeah. And we, it's surprising none of us went to Saint Olaf because I think they're a little snobby. I always yeah. thought like Luther's sort of like Avis. We're number two in the Lutheran schools, but right. we try harder. Yeah. Saint Olaf's a little snooty, but that's where Grandpa was, right? Well, yeah. yeah. So Grandpa graduated in 1922. And then was sort of part of the Lutheran firmament of colleges. He was a professor at Augustana College. Yeah. He was uh, uh, got his PhD at the University of Iowa, so he has an Iowa City connection, yeah. right? Well, when I came to Decora. Yeah, I was Martin Cole's son. Yes, but they all uh, the old professors there knew who he was. About him, <laughs> isn't that cool? Including the Pip Quali, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> And then St. Olaf College. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And Pip, and for those of you who don't know, again, Luther legends know. I get choked up too, Dad, talking about Pip. Because Pip was still alive when I was like 20 years old. And he used to sit on this little railing. And he was about 80 pounds. Yeah. And he had these, but he was like a classic. He was like a real life Indiana Jones. Uh, and he would go to the... A brilliant Greek scholar. Oh, brilliant. Super yeah. smart. Yeah. And he, but he, he's like a lot of people. One of the reasons why Luther exists because people like Pip and my dad and Weston Noble give their lives to Luther. And they oh, stay yeah. there the whole time. That's true. And so Pip, though, yeah. was a great scholar. He spoke Greek. Wouldn't he read the Christmas story in Greek every yeah. year? Yeah. isn't that cool? And then he also knew Grandpa Cole. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, I'll tell you how I knew Grandpa Cole. So how did he know Grandpa Cole? Baseball. Baseball. <laughs> See, Grandpa was good at baseball, and that talent missed me. I think it's because I had undiagnosed. I either didn't have any hand-eye coordination or I was nearsighted or something, but I struck yeah. out all the time. But Grandpa was a good baseball player. Yeah. And his brother, Carl, Carl was really had a good. tryout for the Yankees. Uh, yeah, for the Yankees. Yeah. So I, I don't know what that he meant to have a tryout. professionally caliber. Yeah. yeah, well, that's that's the family lore. But, you know, in yeah. family lore, it's not mythology. If it's about your family, it's true. Yeah. So you're there in the early 60s. Yeah. You have a near-perfect skill set for Luther at the time. Um, you had a background in Renaissance Reformation, correct? What yep, was your specialty? I did. Yeah. What was your specialty? Well, my specialty was German history, and especially the Reformation, yeah. and how it spread through the pamphlets, the printing press. The early internet, right? Yeah, early. Well, yeah, exactly. The information. Dad and I like James Gleick, or is it Glick? How do you say it? I always get it. Glick or Gleick, in any event. Indulges James Glyke, um, he did a book called The Information and focused heavily on information theory. Yeah, well, yeah. And the early Renaissance, that was really the spread of ideas is what you were oh, interested yeah. in. Oh, yeah, oh, sure, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so elaborate on that. Like your your whole thing was it's how you got the job at Luther. You had like a really good credential. You're from Ohio State. Yeah. And then you you studied how these ideas spread. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Through pamphlets. Well, yeah. Food you know, shit. people. Shit. I'm sort of one of the the funniest things of all time. This may be one of the funniest Paideia lectures ever. Dad was giving a um, you maybe you could tell it about Warburg. Do you remember the Warburg story? Uh, well. Uh, <laughs> No, I don't. Okay, well, you'll remember it because Dad was really interested in woodcuts. Yeah. And the deal with woodcuts is that, of course, Wartburg Castle was where Martin Luther went when he was in trouble with some of the Catholics, right? Yeah. So that's where he went for protection. But there was a woodcut once that said, the Wartburg. Yeah. And how would you say the Wartburg in German? Leitburg? No, but wouldn't you say D-I-E, remember? Uh, It said die Wartburg. Remember, Die Wartburg. You remember oh, that story? Well, well okay. Yeah. So you showed this woodcut, and it said Die Wartburg. So I don't know if the Germans D- right. Yeah, it was D-I-E. D-I-E. Yeah. Was German grammar. German grammar for yeah. something Wartburg, uh, and it yeah. was really funny. Yeah. So. Die Wartburg. Huh? To Wartburg, and uh, it was really funny because everyone's like Die Wartburg. I didn't know that. Don't you remember that story? Yes, I am. Uh, I think they all laugh. I thought, I I thought it was a good one. <laughs> well, but it was funny because it said Die Wartburg. So, <laughs> yeah. and now. Okay, so in the firmament, sort of St. Olaf is better than Luther. Yeah. Warburg people, Luther is better than Warburg. I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, you're pretty good, but yeah. there's too many people from like Trapola. No one's, no one, no one's salt to Trapola, but Luther's better. Okay, so, um, so you get there in the early 60s, and this was also a time of great change at Luther College. Prior to the time that you got there, there was a controversy. And I don't know if you Boy. could basically elaborate what the nature of this controversy, but this was an existential controversy that shook Luther to its core. So elaborate that for an audience that doesn't know. Well, you know what? I never made sure I really understood it. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, theological controversies don't have much to them, really. Well, but there was some conflict between members in the biology department well, yeah, yeah, yeah. who well, didn't believe in evolution or something. Well, that's part of it. By yeah. the way, people, we do not believe in evolution. So this is in the early 60s, so yeah, indulge right. us. But it was some of the... But it was the- theological. But some of the biology department had a conflict with the religion department, Yeah, right? they did. And you know what? Who's that a- was before I got there. Exactly. Yeah, and so I never did know exactly. <clears throat> but the result of that was, I think a third of the faculty resigned... Well, some of them. A large number resigned. Some left that went elsewhere. And they thought the college may not even exist after that. But it didn't. They had a whole new crop of faculty that came. Yeah. About the time that you did. And the biology department, too. And they all stayed there for about 40 years. That's right. I don't know if, like, Russ Rulon was part of that group. Uh, Phil Russ Rulon, remember Russ? Oh, yeah, Russ Rulon, Bill Wright. Phil Wright, Wright Wright and... And and, uh, you name name him. uh, Yeah, exactly. Roslyn, was Roslyn? David and Roslyn, yeah, Uh exactly. Yeah, Luther had a... Oh, has a really good biology department, but they've always had a good good placement in medical school. I thought about doing bio, but I don't... I I, I mean, I'm sort of a philosopher of science. I don't do the actual stuff. So, um, you were there in the 60s, and so... Luther at the time, do you remember how many students they had at Luther College then? Well, yeah, when I came there, there was about maybe 1,300. 1,300. And then when I left there, of course, there were over 2,000. And the finances of Luther were not great at the time. I mean, your paycheck never bounced, but just sort of barely, right? Well, yeah, we didn't have a lot of extra money for staff. Yeah, so much so that we actually qualified... 
in like 1980 for um, free reduced lunch because four kids and a professor's salary. But at least the checks didn't bounce, right? Right, right, right. But so the other thing that one of the things that your your dad, my grandfather, Grandpa Cole, uh-huh. was at Texas Lutheran, a president in the 60s. Yeah, that's right. And Friends of the Rockton Cast, you may remember that I did a podcast on Grandpa Cole and Bruce Lee, in which I talked about the, the consuming fire um, speech that my grandfather gave. And I think it was his commencement address or his first address as president of Texas Lutheran. The reason why I bring that up in connection with Luther is that at the time, people really did not know whether liberal arts colleges were going to be able to continue to function oh, yeah. sort of outside of the East Coast because That's of right. the advent of the community colleges. So I don't know if you, you can elaborate on that a little bit. Well, yeah, I, a little bit, but uh, I... I uh... Well, that's okay. And uh, there was the Northeast Iowa Community College, right? Yeah. You, yeah. It used to be called Northeast Iowa Technical Institute. At the time, Luther thought about actually merging, not merging, but having the, uh, the Nitai campus on Luther campus, right? Well, they Farwell thought that might be a great idea. Yeah. But I, don't know, I guess he did. But that's, that was real revolutionary. But they were really concerned and ended up did affecting schools like Waldorf, some of the Lutheran junior colleges that oh. really were um, sort of, um, yeah. I think they did really feel the, the brunt of that. Now, Luther has really remained a very strong, vibrant school. Oh, yes. Um, in part because of dynamic programs like Paideia. Oh, well. And so if you could tell some of our listeners who don't know. Now, I was sort of a nerd. I never complained about Paideia. I, I liked Paideia. I liked the Odyssey, which, I, by the way, I'm going to do a podcast on the Odyssey. Um, I like the Shakespeare. I really liked it as I had it. Of course, every program needs to revolve. But I think that is always a big question um, around a, any faculty curriculum is how we evolve and what do we keep the same. But who was involved in the early formation of Paideia and two why, um, what, what was the thought process behind Padilla when it started? Well, uh, I guess I was involved <laughs> Richard Cole. Okay, so. Padilla, John Bolly. John Bolly was a professor of English. English, yeah, and he. Who, uh, who recently passed away. Yeah, and he was really a. Blue chipper. He was like being a dean yeah. of the college. Here he was head of our department. And so what was the purpose of it? Was, it was, was that something that was typical of colleges at the time? But do you remember the thought process behind starting the program? Well, I didn't start it, so I, but yeah, the process was this is, this is what it is to be modern. Yeah. To, and have a, a Greek root mm-hmm. and uh, an expression. Mm-hmm. And of course, I still believe that. And also, uh, we dealt with immigration. Yeah. And Norwegian American experience. Yeah. And Chinese history. Yes. World history. In the early PIA program. Uh, you know. It was a really nice mix of the two disciplines of English and history. Oh, yeah. So and, what I love. And world history, too. Yeah. Oh. And what I love about that is, uh, is that for, for people in the sciences, um, and even now the medical schools are starting to recognize this. I have a friend who's from the Writers' Workshop who taught at the University of Iowa Medical School. More and more scientific disciplines are realizing the importance of the liberal arts. And so if you're a pre-med major, yeah. you are going to get a good, solid grounding in the liberal arts. And that I've was part been thinking of the process. about that, too. Is I wish I had studied Greek earlier in my career. Yeah. Uh, Greek is a kind of foundation of everything. I, I, absolutely. And, and I, I Christian religion, uh, where else can you find the idea of a trinity except in Greek 
verbs. Exactly, and the, and the duality of the soul, and, yeah. and, and, and your mind, body, and spirit. You know, a lot of you know that I really like Weston Noble. He often talked about the spirit, the yeah. mind, the body, oh, and how yeah. he synthesized the two. Well, that's the liberal arts, and I think that will always really remain relevant. Yeah. And so you were part of this early program, and sort of right, was it hard to get started, or did you have to persuade other faculty? Because it's a big commitment to the, the college that essentially all college students that are first years have to go through it. There's no way out of it. Well, we had a spread. It wasn't easy to get through, faculty-wise. But Farwell, of course, was a key yeah. in this. And he was a PhD in kind of a University of Michigan, and he had mm -hmm. a student science. Yeah. And he also had a theology degree. Yeah. You know, and he was a great man. He was. And I, and I think yeah. what I loved about Farwell... Go ahead, you wanted to elaborate, Dad? Well, I, it's... Uh, I often think about that. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the other thing. He hired me. <laughs> well, he, he, he yeah, clearly. I, I was in Ohio State and he was Michigan State. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, unfortunately, that rivalry didn't prevent him from hiring my dad, or else many of you wouldn't know me in Decorah, Iowa. I'd yeah, be somewhere else. Uh, but so, yeah, and so that is sort of part of the early founding of the college, and, and it really is now still part of the main curriculum. I remember. When I was there in the early 90s, I actually liked it as it was. But again, I understand the need to evolve and to not keep things always the same. But The Odyssey, for example, I think that's probably a book, wouldn't you agree, Dad, that you should almost read every 10 to 15 years, right? Yeah. Oh, that's true. Because yeah. it really is a metaphor for life. Well, yeah. Yeah. And that metaphor for life, that's, you know, you're a pioneer student. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I always think of the siren, you know, having to be tied up to the mast to prevent you from yeah. doing something that you shouldn't do, yeah. um, to sort of prevent and, and to guide your judgment. The concept of going away from home yeah. and then being gone for a long time and then coming home. I, I, I've sort of gone on that in my journey in a lot of different respects. But so the thing that I think made Farwell, what do you think was the, the thing that made him such a dynamic leader? What, what, what was his leadership quality that really made him an effective president? Well, I can think of one thing right away. If he had an opinion, he'd express it, and you, by gosh, you better accept it. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't like to be argued with. Well, that's what I heard, that one year he had targets for the enrollment number, and he basically told admissions, <laughs> yeah. you're going to get this number, and I'm not going to accept no, right? Wasn't he? he was sort of a... Well, that's right. But he was not a toxic but, personality. But he was nice. Yes. Uh, it would be a tough... But nice. Yeah, exactly. And that was my recollection of him. By the well, time I went to Luther, he was already well, in his 70s, yeah. right? Yeah. He was in his 70s in the early 90s. And yeah. he only died like five or ten years ago, right? Yeah. And I, I, uh, your mother had a little visit with him a couple of years ago. Yeah, isn't that interesting? The other thing that he's very famous for, Luther Aficionados, is that he was the one that really got through Center for Faith and Life. I don't know if you have any recollection oh, of the yeah, 70s. Oh, yeah, 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 I do. So that was probably, I would say if you look at the history of Luther College, in the 70s, you got to start with the Center for Faith and Life. So do, yeah. do you have any recollections of that time period? Well, uh, he had a lot of criticism, I know, for his, not with, not with Billy, uh, uh, not a chapel, but kind of auditorium called Faith and Life. And they didn't they call it Farwell's Folly? Yeah, they didn't like it, yeah. And they barely got the financing to do Price Library, right? Well, bar barely. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but they did it. So he always had trouble with finances. So Luther was really on a shoestring in the 70s. He didn't really know which direction it was going to go. 
Well, it was pretty Farwell good. Farwell knew. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, Farwell knew the direction. And you think about, for people that you were listing, all maybe 25 listeners, it's my average listenership, but a lot of people's first memory of Luther College, if they're not from Decorah, is at a Dorian music event, and usually it's at Center for Faith and Life. And usually involved either Weston or Center for Faith and Life. And what a great, and I'll say, even though St. Olaf is number, St. Olaf is probably number one of Lutheran schools, but our performing space is way better uh, than St. Olaf's. Yeah. So we got you on that, St. Olaf's, so there. Um, but it is really a beautiful performing space. Well, yeah, and you know what? Uh, the faculty recognize that finally. Yeah. Because but they wanted to go to salaries. None of that happens easily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so he had the ability to do it, and then it was followed by another quiet but very effective leader, H. George Anderson, was the next president. So oh, yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts about, but what jumps out at me of the 80s is Luther had a good basketball team. They've always had pretty good basketball team. They had a really good basketball team. Yeah. Remember like Willie McKinney and oh, yeah. Tom Wiebe? And I don't know how that happened. They were good. Jim Likes was the coach. Well, But they go around and recruit the best players in this Schools around Iowa. Yeah, but then they had H. George, who was also very much like Farwell. Oh, yeah. And, and what made uh, H. A major leaguer. Yeah, H. was super smart. I mean, he was, like, brilliant. I remember I'd go to his lectures, and I'd be like, oh, my God. He gave a really good a really good lecture on the existence of God. And he talked about, I think, I think he was talking about multidimensional physics, and he was basically saying that, you know, that, for example, like an ant doesn't know where it is when it's like when it's walking along the a two-dimensional space that's all it sees but it doesn't see the other dimensions and he was some very sort of advanced thing that he was talking about like the existence of god but that's what he could do he could he could do that and then he could do philosophy but he was also quiet but effective very much like farwell I remember I liked he wasn't a gas bag like i am i liked h george a lot what what made him effective leader well just what you've described there he took us off the aid, aid to families dependent children with his, his raise, right? Didn't he yeah. give a big raise to faculty? Yeah. Well, yes, that's true. Yeah. Well, a big raise. I don't Yeah, I guess that's right. Yeah. Well, there was one time, is my recollection, where Luther sort of recognized that they were too low on salaries. So H oh, was yeah. the one that really recognized that. Yeah. Well, always were too low. Right? Yeah, always too low. But now they're at least yeah. somewhat competitive for a small well, liberal yeah, arts school. Yeah. But yeah. so then you were there in the 80s. And, you know, you yeah. raising four kids in Decorah. Yeah. And how was the campus evolving? Were you noticing any trends? Were the students different? Or what was your recollection as to the difference? Because in the 60s, there were some times where, you know, the students would take over the Union. They were sort of radical with the Vietnam yeah, War. Yeah, well, that, yeah. That, that actually surprised me when that happened. In the 60s? Uh, radicalism, yeah. Yeah. And, it faded away. It faded away. Well, I mean... In the uh, 80s, it was a little bit more chilled out. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But... So, how did how did the students evolve then? I mean, how, what changed from the time that you started in the 60s until the 1980s? Well, uh, I don't have a quick answer. You don't have a quick answer. No. Well, I... I students evolve slowly. <laughs> they evolve slowly, and yeah, there's yeah. certain part of them are always going to be 18 to 22, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that, that process. That's exactly right. Yeah. And you had a lot of football players that would take your history class, right? Some, man. Yeah. And you, because you, you taught. And a lot of coaches, though. <laughs> and you taught, like, World War II also. Yeah. Russian history. Yeah. European history. A lot of well, interesting topics. Yeah, yeah. And they had good good classes. And, uh, well, 
And I also taught a couple other courses that, uh, like history of revolutions. Oh yeah, I like that stuff. It's and stuff. Uh, you know, the revolutions. I had students that really got excited about Rich Ann Luther College. Yeah. If you take a class at history of American revolutions, period. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I found a book by Vladimir Lenin down in my dad's library, and I read it. So it was on various Lenin speeches during yeah, my Russian Revolution. during my flirt with leftist ideology about twelve years ago. But yeah, it yeah. was it was very very good. And yeah. you you always had a very good library with all sorts of good books, oh, yeah. like the Panzers on the Western Front or the Eastern Front, right? You yeah. like those sort of books? Yeah. Well, I love European history, and uh, I always enjoyed teaching it. Yeah. And. Uh, I always enjoy teaching the World War II classes, too. Well, yeah, and, and, yeah. and let me connect you to another thing that you did is that Weston Noble, to get, I, I think it may have been for funding or so students can get a credit when they would go on the Nordic Choir Tour, sometimes he would ask you to teach a little bit of a Russian history to, this, to Nordic so they could qualify for a credit and maybe qualify for a loan or something to, to be able to go there. Well, I did, yeah, I did teach them. Weston and I cooperated. Yeah. I gave some lectures. And Weston had his choir students there, and they're getting ready for a European tour. And one yeah. of the one of the I've been doing a lot on Weston, you know, all different all different parts of Weston. But one thing that I'm going to more specifically do is you were involved with guiding some students through the letters of Weston Noble to Chellis Evanson yeah. during his time at the Battle of the Bulge. So stay yeah. tuned. I am going to do that. But so, describe a little bit with that, like the Weston letters to Chellis Evanson. First off, who is Chellis Evanson? And second, tell me about the letters. Well, Chellis Evanson was chairman of the history department when I came to Luther. And he was old, just about ready to retire. And he had been, uh, uh, well, I say a chairman of the history department, and mm -hmm. he was really tired. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> As maybe Richard G. was in 2005 a little bit. It happens to all of us, right? I like Chellis, but, you know, he said one thing, you know, Mr. Coley says, one thing I never did is publish much because I thought I didn't get in trouble. He said. Hmm. <laughs> and, but he was a Ph.D. from Iowa yeah. in history. And uh, uh, really have a um, hallmark of... Luther College faculty, really, jealous. Of. But he saved. So when Weston, so Weston was a little music major from yeah. Rice, and he was little. We, I love you, Weston, from up Iowa. in heaven. But we, we can call you. You were kind of small. But because he was small, was a farm kid. Yeah. The army people were like, "Oh my gosh, tank driver." Yeah, and that's what ha happened to tank drivers from Iowa. Yep. They were from Iowa. Why can you be a tank driver? Because he could drive his tractor. And he was small, and he probably had some good skills to be able to fix the tank. And tractors are very much like tanks. Yeah, and they're technology. And, and, and technology was the same. One, one upcoming podcast that I'm going to do is on one of the greatest Iowans of all time, Robert Noyce, who was not a farm kid, but he was from Iowa, and I think he was exposed to a lot of farms. And he had the technical chops, so when he developed the microchip, he, he had the technical skill that he got from as a PhD physics student from MIT as well as Grinnell College, but he also knew a lot of the farm kids and gave him a lot of technical skills. So that's why Iowa has a surprising connection to a lot of technological fields because they were farming. And Wesson had that as a tank driver. Well, and I told my class one time yeah. that the typical tank had 40 horsepower. 40 horsepower. Oh, wow. Well, typical, what? Uh, 
tank had typical 40 horsepower. Oh, yeah. So it was Similar horsepower. It was, yeah, it was, it's like driving a tank. And so did Weston ever come in and lecture to some of your classes? He did. Yeah. And, you know, one time I said, well, hey, Professor Weston, what's it like to kill a German? <laughs> yeah. And he said, well, that's what you do. Yeah. I, I was going to, yeah, you've shared that before, and I was yeah. going to actually ask you that question because... Yeah. We always knew, you know, the thing that I loved about Weston is that he had a very positive attitude. He was very diminutive. He was very holy. He was very saintly. And, and some of my favorite letters are Weston writing home about playing the organ, like almost in the middle of the Battle of Bulge. Not quite, but yeah, like well, he would true. get bombed one night and they would advance. And if he came across like a little chapel or a little church, yeah. Weston would just take a break and then play the organ. So, and if you think I'm lying, like um, Will Bungie, did an actual book on Weston, and I think yeah. he included some of those letters. So, oh yeah, yeah. But so Weston then, while he's in the Battle of the Bulge, yeah. is writing letters to Chellis Evanson. Yeah. Because he also studied That's history true. of Luther. Now, were you the one that discovered those letters, or were that already well known? Because uh, well, you knew that they were, of course, I, primary I say sources. Yes no. Okay. Uh, because uh, somebody said, well, what are you do with all these letters to Weston Noble? And I said, well, save them. Yeah. And then and the other, I, well, maybe we could throw them all away. They didn't, nobody knew what they were. Yeah. And, but I helped to save them. So you, uh, so you do deserve some credit for that because they, oh. they're a total treasure trove. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, and I do think they're important. Uh, John Christensen, a Luther fan, he understood that too. See, John was a fellow colleague who actually just visited yeah. Yeah. Dad just about a week ago. And, and, and John was a very dapper professor who specialized in the history of science, Tico yeah. Bra, he was very oh, yeah, interested history, in. Yeah, yeah. And then the Scandinavian experience. Yeah. I actually interviewed John at some point, too. Yeah. Uh, but so you then guided a lot of students through these and had them do papers on the Chellis Evanson or the Weston Noble Letters. Yeah, I had my Chellis. students do research on the Weston Noble Letters. Yeah. And they read term papers from this stuff. Yeah. So yeah. one of my great regrets, people, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. But one of them is, is ninth grade Rockney Cole interviewed Weston Noble and taped this interview about his experience in the Battle of the Bulge. And I lost the tape. And I am just crushed. And I also learned today, actually, today, my brother interviewed George Strum, who was a chaplain in Iwo Jima. Yeah, I knew that. And yeah. he also, I don't know if he interviewed him on tape, but he also lost these letters right. or the, this report. So yeah. that's sort of one of my great regrets. But the other little footnote that you have is you also recovered, I think, some of the letters that David T. Nelson wrote back during World War One. right? Yes, Am I getting that yes, right? No, that's right. So a lot of you are probably remember David Nelson right, who was a professor of physics, and he used to be mayor of... Wasn't he David? Or am I getting him wrong? No, David T. was English. Oh, David T. Okay, well, who was the one that was mayor of Decorah? Uh, that was... Uh, Nelson. Well, that was uh, David Nelson. David Nelson. That was a physics. Yeah, and yeah. then there was John Nelson, right, who was yeah. a professor of accounting, yeah. and also in private accounting, and that was their father Yeah. that was in World War One. Yeah, and you recovered those letters too, right? Yeah, well, I guess so, yeah. Well, you did a paper on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're part of really direct history at Luther College. Yeah. Well, part of the what? You're part of history of Luther. Well, sorry. You've, you've saved a lot of it as a well, historian. Yeah, I guess I did. I helped yeah. other people recognize it. Yeah, exactly. You were really good at spotting issues. Yeah, well, and uh, who knows what I could have done more, I suppose. 
Well, no, but you you had a, you had a great career. Yeah. You then made it to two thousand. You loved, you know, I you're like a professional. You you're a good model for professional alignment because you loved history so much you would have done it for free. Well, uh, yeah. I in fact, in fact, you still do it for free. You still try to like bang around on the typewriter in your office, right? Yep. Okay, so if you see a guy in a wheelchair at Luther College right now, there's a good bet it's Professor Cole trying to write a paper. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, yeah. Uh, The uh, pandemic, uh, uh, the library was closed. I couldn't even get to my office Hmm. to work. But I did did get there a few times. In fact, I got up there a week ago. To do some more research. I got into my computer, and I had some old... I had some old writings that I had saved. Hmm. I had forgotten about them even. Yeah. And one of them I was going to tell you about too is with who? Uh, Montesquieu. You mean Montaigne? Oh, well, yeah, Mont- Montaigne. Montaigne. Yeah. yeah. And uh, why he was like Luke Martin Luther? Yeah, because Susie, my sister Susie, and Susie and I, I think are probably going to do a podcast. So people I interview who I know, so you're going to get a lot of friends and family members. But Susie's very interested in Montaigne, and she got you interested in Montaigne, who was like a French philosopher or something, wasn't he? Or was he Swiss? And he, and he's, uh, uh, During the Renaissance. He, he's, he was a humanist. Humanist. And knew, uh, was very reformed-minded, hmm. but been totally ignored by Reformation scholars. Hmm. And why? Well, because he was really real pious. He was more of a humanist. He wrote yeah, a lot well, of essays. Yeah, he was secular. Yeah. Very secular. But anyway... I was hoping to change that, and I, and I, I reread what I wrote two years ago, and I I'd forgotten that I didn't have much work on Montaigne. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and I think that that's part of your legacy. Yeah. So you retired in 2000, and so you're still even trying to tell, you know, till the day you go up into heaven, you're writing history papers. Yeah. Um, you retired in 2005. Yeah, that's So right. what are some of your best memories that you have of Luther College during your tenure there? Well... That's a good question. Uh, well, you know, when I came, first came there, I, I think I've alluded to this earlier, that uh, <clears throat> I was already famous because of my father, Martin Cole, mm-hmm. as a football player and baseball player. Yeah. And his brother, Carl, which you mentioned earlier. But, uh, and I thought, well, that's important <laughs> Well, and I think that's part of, you know, I think we're always concerned about the future. I think it will be until Luther, you know, there's always a question of whether the liberal arts will remain viable in the face of this increasingly specialized um, educational environment that we have. And I think it will, it will always be viable because of the community, because of the need for interdimensional thinking um, because of this whole domain match problem, that's always a you big know, challenge. That's exactly right. Yeah, and I recommend you to be president of a liberal arts college. Well, hey, I don't have a PhD, but I have an opinion. Yeah, so maybe I'll opinion. maybe I'll stick to the barbershop. But I, uh, yeah, I, I, I but I, I think that that is right. That 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 is something that I think you know, and I think sticking to those core values, I think, is going to oh, be very yeah. important. Well, yeah, I totally agree. That maybe your product idea. And my old family upbringing. But uh, I think that's the future. Well, not only it's the future, but I think that a good liberal arts 
explanation or, 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 or educational framework connects the past with the present and projects us into the future yeah. in a very tangible way. And I think that's really what I got during my experience there. I mean, I, I still think about, you know, Plato's allegory of the cave, the sort of concept of our consciousness looking out to the edges of our own knowledge and imperfectly seeing the world. Or Odysseus and you know, his great search of the Odyssey that I've gone through my life, that life really is like we're on this sailboat, yeah. that we, we depart from home and we leave and we have all sorts of adventures, but yeah. we feel this longing to come home. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that I'm going to do for some of my future podcasts. I'm going to do a distinct podcast called Rock for Norwich, which is about my desire to return home to Norway, yeah. uh, where, where our ancestors come from. We're, you're 100% Norwegian. Yeah. And I'm 80% Norwegian. I got a little English Connecticut Yankee in me for, through my mother. But I think we all have this longing desire. And I think really the liberal arts gives us shape and focus and a sense of inquiry uh, to be able to explore all of that. Yeah, and I think that our name, Cole, C-O-L-E, really should be K-O-L-L. And that, in Norwegian history, it's kind of early Germanic. But I think we're part of the kind of... The royal family in Norway. Everyone in Norway is part of the royal family, though, because of we're pretty inbred there. But we, uh, yeah, well, so we can be proud of that. Well, I'm also interested in, in studying some of the Viking uh, roots. Well, we, yeah. Not that we have any direct Viking roots, but I think that well, culture, that religion, the language, the the martial arts that they did. Oh yeah, well, yeah. all of that I think is very fascinating, and also more recent history. Like I, I'm interested, for example, in the. Um, the conflict with Sweden, you know, how we had to rebel against Sweden. Because we oh, had some of our great-grand... One of our great-grandparents was in the Swedish army, right? Yeah, and... Right, He's probably right. conscripted. That's my great-grandfather. Yeah, but so... And they were part of the Swedish army, not the Norwegian army, because Nor Norway was separate. That's right. Or they had their own domestic constitution, but for foreign policy was ruled by Sweden. In fact, in 1905, I, I heard this, Swedish army... And the Norwegians got bro broke off. So the we're going to be not fight for Sweden. And, uh, you know, the other and they, nearly, they nearly started a war, right? But cooler heads prevailed. World, World War I, yeah. I think it would have been sort of funny to have, oh, not funny, but to have Norway fight Sweden. Uh, Norwegians would have won. I think we're tougher than the Swedes, but they would have thought they would have won. But I, well, it kind of would have been funny. Anyway. Anyway. That's so very, that's a, this is the liberal arts, though, this concept of returning home. And you had a big part of that as a yeah. history professor there for 40 years yeah. and sparking the love of lifelong learning and history. Yeah. It's a topic I think that a lot of people are interested in. Yeah, well... That's true. So this has been a wonderful exploration of the life career at Luther College um, of Richard G. Cole. Um, Richard, dad, father, do you, is there anything else that you'd like to add in terms of your memory of Luther College? Well, uh, not, well I do have a lot of them, of course. Well, I sort of put Dad on. Dad didn't even know he was going to be subject to the interview today, but I thought, what the heck? We have some time to kill in the uh, yeah. in the hotel. Yeah. And also, stay tuned, friends of the Rockney Cast. I'm going to be doing a lot of Luther-related content. I am going to uh, interview Robert Schultz yeah, on the on the history of um, Bob Hunt, who was a local decora guy in World War II. So there's going to be a lot of different Luther-related content of people that have, you know, done great things. I've interviewed Mary Elizabeth William, a world-class opera singer. Uh, so it's just sort of, you know, starting from where I am and I think who I know and, and what I know. And 
Um, I'm glad that you were able to experience these, if you're still here, the, this uh, 45 minutes with, uh, with the legendary Luther professor, Richard G. Cole. So anything else, Dad? Well, I, I mentioned Bob Hunt. Yeah. And he taught me how to ski. Me how to ski. That's how I knew him. I used to play tennis with Bob Hunt. And this is what I love about yeah. stories. You know, Malcolm Gladwell always says, how do you yeah. find, write so many interesting stories? He said, well, about people. He said, well, people don't realize how interesting they are. I just knew yeah. Bob Hunt as a guy I played tennis with. I like Bob Hunt, yeah. I had no idea he was like a badass submariner yeah. during World War II. And he saw combat, too. <clears throat> he got what? He saw combat in World War II. Oh, oh yeah. Did. Oh, you yeah, submarine. Yeah, submarine combat. And he, he uh, describes that in his book. In the book. So we're going to do Schoen stuff Schoen. like that. I think I'm probably going to do Bob Follett, Oniota Flow. I haven't reached out to yet, Bob. But is, yeah, Bob you know, is Bob, is it, but who's Follett? No, no. Um, who did Oniota Flow? Well, that it would be... Uh, Follett. David Follett, right? David Follett, yeah. Yeah, so I'm probably going to... I'm going to at least ask him to interview. I'm putting pressure on David to interview. But I'm going to interview a lot of people. Maybe I'll interview Ruth Caldwell about some of her scholarships. So we are going to do a lot of really good stuff. And I hope you guys enjoyed this interview as much as I hadn't put it on. Um, and stay tuned for future episodes of... Where Rock. can I find this? Oh, interview? well, actually, that's a good question. Look at, look at that pro. Where do you find this wonderful content? We are on Spotify, um, iTunes, Anchor, all of the latest podcasts you can find, um, the Rockney cast. Um, and so, Dad, for you, I'll set it up for you so you can listen to it. Yeah, and then okay. we'll, we'll, we'll lie to listen to it. But hopefully we'll get good leadership, listenership, and then people can spread the word about this great interview with Professor Richard G. Cole and his experiences at Luther College from 1964 to 2005. And we are now in Rochester, Minnesota, uh, September 3rd, 2021. Until next time. Friends of the Rockney cast. You're welcome, Dad.